Hi everyone, my name is Joaquin, and in today's episode, we will be talking about some of the lingering questions that come from the commonalities between the career lifestyle of business management and the ethics of gifted education. With me is our special guest, Riley. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. Good to hear it. Now, I want to start off this conversation with your with your experiences in gifted education and how you came around to doing this project. I come from a very small town in central Virginia, which made my gifted experience very condensed in a way. I took the OLSAT test, which stands for Otis Lennon School Ability Test in second grade and actually missed the cutoff by one point. So they actually retested me in a room by myself um, at this big table as a little second grader, which was super intimidating as a young kid. By the second time I took the test, I was admitted into the program and experienced the gifted education system firsthand throughout my elementary, middle, and high school experiences. In elementary school, I was pulled from the main classroom of um, many more kids to join a smaller classroom with my fellow gifted students for what was called sunshine math, which was like horrible because I'm so bad at math. Um, and then in addition to that, we got special time devoted to exploring our own creative interests through this program called GRIP. And GRIP stands for a gifted research interest project, and it could be on literally anything you liked. Um, so there were fourth grade girls, it, because it was third, fourth, and fifth that did this. Um, there were fourth grade girls that did their projects on like Taylor Swift. My little sister was in the program too, and she did hers on 4-H and agriculture um, one year. And I did mine on international money one year, which was really fun. I didn't get this creative liberty again until my senior year of high school through my governor's school program, which was also selective, when we were given an allotted class time to work on a senior capstone, which I did on my own personal interest, which were the benefits of coaching through shooting sports. Personally, I think with the more freedom and less bureaucracy I had in the classroom, my creativity was able to flourish. Is this pedagogy similar to any experiences you've had in the business world? Mm -hmm. So for the most part, I feel like my business classes here have been your run-of-the-mill lectures. However, uh, this semester, I took a class called Interpersonal Skills, and our final project was we acted as a consultant company for this official car company, and we were tasked to develop their uh, strategy. And even though we had um, a case study and a few constraints, our team basically had the complete freedom in suggesting whatever they want for this car company. And with that, we really just let our creativity run wild by doing stuff like adding super cutting edge technology that doesn't really exist yet. Uh, we look at old Greek myths for like the marketing, stuff like that. So yeah, I absolutely agree that less structure leads to more creativity, at least for me. Um, on to my next question then. Something I'm very passionate about in my line of work is equity. And I was very, very interested to hear you talk about the differences between equity and equality and in gifted education specifically. So what do you think those differences are and how have they affected your view of the gifted education system? I think the fact that I got a second chance on what seemed to be like an unimportant test as a second grader really changed my entire education experience. But I'm not too sure that other students would have gotten that opportunity for external reasons. It could be maybe that their parents had careers that did not allow them to advocate for their students as much as my mom did. 
or maybe there were experiences both in and out of the classroom that made the student feel as if they weren't good enough to do well on this super structured mandatory test. I think the question of equality really comes into play when young students are given these rigid tests to determine their paths for the rest of their schooling experience. As a future educator and someone who knows what it's like to experience a gifted and talented system all the way through, I really wanna make sure that I do my best to be the cheerleader, the advocate and the change that all of my students can rely on. Um, I believe these qualities will make me an effective and more importantly, an empathetic role model to all of my students in the future. What qualities would you look for in an effective manager? One thing that I think of when I think about really good managers is they have a really, really good ability to make a cohesive team out of people. Um, for example, I have been in many groups where we were all just complete strangers at the very beginning of like a process. But by the end, we grew closer, not just because of the work we did, but also through activities, through getting to know each other. One of the best ways that I've found to set these like team building expectations in the beginning is really just to create some sort of community guidelines or agreement or contract so that everyone is clear on what the project will entail. You kind of just answered my next question for you, which is how can we introduce those expectations of being an effective team member into our school systems? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can absolutely bring like community agreements to the classroom. Some of my best work I've done in university are with groups of people that I felt the most comfortable with. And community agreements were definitely such an important part of that. Cool. So final question for you here. You mentioned something called psychometric testing in your uh, presentation, which is from my understanding, like any activity or assessment that is conducted in order to evaluate like a candidate's performance. So there are very similar tests that I've encountered from my time here at the business school, like the DISC and the Clifton Strengths. And I wanted to ask you if you feel like these assessments are one, are, if they're accurate in evaluating performance and be even needed and specifically, even needed specifically in gifted education programs. Yeah, so the one I mentioned earlier was the Otis Lennon School Ability Test, which is like OLSAT. And that is a verbal and nonverbal test that measures a child's academic achievement against all others that age. Personally, I think using the term school ability in the name of the test itself brings forth a lot of questionable outcomes for the students that participate because there's so many outside factors that can influence a student's performance on tests like these, like preparation with parents and test anxiety and anything else you can really imagine. So it really comes down to the outside experiences of the students to determine their quote success on the ability measurement scales. I do believe that there are some needs to have a baseline measurement system to designate who may be exceptional in certain areas, but I'm not exactly sure if traditional tests are the answer that we need as a lot of these students that are labeled gifted and talented are exceptional because they hold non-conforming qualities that set them apart from other students. Awesome. Well, I think that's all the time we have. So thank you, Riley, for joining me in this episode. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Creativity Insights Podcast. And make sure you check out the other amazing episodes. Bye.